a lot of dynamic data will be posted there, and you'll see a more powerful website on Drupal soon. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's August 13th, 2009. This is your Gitmo Nation audio publication, episode 121. This is no agenda. Coming to you from the Crackpot Command Center, embedded in the minimum security containment cell in the heart of Gitmo Nation, West San Francisco, California. I'm your chief crackpot officer, Adam Curry. And here in northern Silicon Valley, sitting here with a glass of pure lemon juice, I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. First complete opener in three shows. Oh. We're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no longer stumbling and bumbling. Well, I blew the last one. Mm. If you remember, it was just, oh, I'm John Dvorak. Oh, yeah. We all remember, John. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we all remember. Yes. Hey, good morning to you. Yes. It actually looks like it might be a nice day today. In the morning. In San Francisco. I didn't see any of the meteors last night I was supposed to see. Yeah, I think it was cloudy all around the world. Um of course, well, I, could, I, mean, I, could, I couldn't see it from the city because there's too much ambient light and we had fog. It's and, called uh, light pollution. Yeah, and I was reading that uh, the UK had uh, cloudy skies. Um, <laughs> the continent had cloudy skies. I'm just not reading. I don't think many people saw it. You know, I could see stars last night, but, you know, but I just never saw any meteors. You really has, has to, you have to be out in the middle of Oregon someplace or out in the, in the high desert. Yeah, that's my next and, plan. <laughs> Yeah, not a bad idea. To be out there somewhere. <laughs> hey, John, we got a lot to talk about today. Actually, a lot and not a lot. Um, you wrote a a piece yesterday. Uh, was it yesterday? The day before yesterday? <laughs> was it yesterday? Uh, it seems like weeks. Seems ago. like weeks ago. About uh, and this actually about Vivek Kundra, the uh, federally appointed chief information officer of the United States of America, which I, I think the. Uh, the impetus for uh, for the for the piece was based upon last week's show, where we wound up uh, talking about this guy for a couple of minutes at the very end of the show. Yeah, well, the one uh, we have, you still have my two clips from last week. We didn't play. Oh, I, uh, I've I've taken your two clips and raised them five, my friend. Yes. Well, can you, let's play the clip that I I have a couple clips there. The clip that triggered my uh, looking into the guy. <sighs> See, I had it all set up differently. Oh, <laughs> I didn't want to. This is a no agenda show. I, I, I've got my own agenda, not your agenda. There we have. I do nuts. No, I can. Uh, I can play. Uh, I can play what you were talking about. I think this was uh, this was the clip you were referring to. Um, actually, was that the one with the the real time data? Was that the one? Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. This is it, I think. So, on the well, from my perspective, of course, we're we're seeing a huge. I, sh- I should mention this is from. Uh, the FCC broadband panel, which John and I both, by coincidence, I guess, or not, uh, were watching separately. Divine intervention. Indeed. And, uh, and I, you know, I had to pull a couple of clips from this because uh, the CIO of the United States is just, he talks like, huh? You just sit there and go like, what? And wait until you find out what the guy's really responsible for. Huge impact, I would say, on the IT dashboard where it's actually moving the way the federal government actually spends money. And uh, we're making decisions from a public policy perspective based on real-time feedback that we're getting from the public itself. And the second part of that question was around data. 
Um, so on the data side, one of the things we recognize is that we don't really know which data feeds are going to lead to better analysis. So what we're doing is we're trying to release as much data as possible with the exception, of course, of information that may be classified or sensitive in nature. <laughs> in other words, nothing. Yeah, as a result of that, we're finding a lot of innovation happening out there. Ooh. A lot of people are spotting patterns uh, mm -hmm. that we hadn't seen before. I mean, just the uh, flyontime.us. Yeah, this is my ooh. favorite. Flyontime.us. This is a fantastic service from our government. Just looking at the airlines, uh, we have people who have come up to us. And have you ever come up to someone? Yeah, <laughs> we have no. people coming up to us. You know, I'm, you know? I'd love to come, come up, up to this to guy. Can I come to you and say something? Said, oh, this is fascinating. We never thought this flight was actually always this late. So people, <laughs> I love this. We never thought this flight was actually this late. I'm going to change yeah, my entire life around it. <laughs> we had to see it on our phone. We're <laughs> changing their behavior based on that. But more importantly, I think what's happening. I'm change. I have to change my behavior. Is even at the local level in the District of Columbia, for example. What example? Based on where you're standing, if you have an iPhone, you can pull up an application and you can see what the closest metro station is near you. Wow, isn't that called Google? Uh, it's unbelievable. And you can find a metro station, you know, without having to look at the big giant sign that this says metro, metro station. station this way. And when the next train is coming. And oh, who needs a schedule? Both directions real time. Uh, you could also see on the same app uh, crime near where you're standing. And as you move, out, the data gets updated. Right uh, <laughs> the data got updated. I'm moving towards crime. I love that. Listen to that again. That's fantastic. The same app. Uh, crime near where you're standing, and as you move, the data gets updated. Uh, you can also see. I, I love the. I love the group. <laughs> yeah, that's the group, by the way. That, that you're hearing. Not, uh, not, not me and Adam. It's it's a group. <laughs> Climb up the real time. <laughs> Douche. The, the the closest bars and restaurants and so you, which by the way is where crime happens to be near bars and restaurants you can make some really interesting decisions based on real time i need to part. change my behavior yeah I'll let me rewind that i need to make some interesting decisions based upon this crime and bar data and so you can make some really interesting decisions based on real time information that you have access to and the idea here is if we can create a national grid around information that it will influence why didn't he add the the sex offenders database to that i mean then you can right. really really route your way to the nearest metro station that has no crime lots of bars and no sex offenders i mean that that, that would change my behavior he, he, he must have forgotten yeah. the way we act in terms of moving us towards making better decisions because we have access to real-time data, and the government has made a decision not to keep that data secret, but make it public. <laughs> when was it we secret? Have time for one <laughs> secret? Secret bar secret data. data. about the bars. All right, so now the reason why we've jumped all over this is because it's, it's actually a follow-on to this $18 million website known as recovery.gov. And, and and you know what? If there actually was some transparency, maybe we wouldn't even be having this discussion because we, of course, looked at all the documents and everything's been redacted. Pages and pages of actual information from Smartronics uh, have been blacked out so you can't see 
who's really on the project, what the process is, because, of course, that is the type of data that is not supposed to be free and available because, you know, that doesn't involve bars and crime. Well, actually, it probably does involve crime, but they're not, they're, they've redacted the crimeful parts in, uh, in the Smartronics contract. And so when you start looking into this guy, and there's a couple of guys we looked into, including the chief technology officer, um, you just got to ask some questions. And that's basically what your article did, John, is you, uh, you looked at his claims of background, uh, you know, what he's done, and really why he is, not only why he's a candidate or why he was selected as the chief information officer, but, but what makes him the best uh, of the best. Yeah, which is nothing. There is, he doesn't have any anything, and the, and the fact that he's being defended by so many people, and we'll talk about that later, uh, is almost it's just it's mind boggling to me. I mean, this is a guy who's essentially some you, you, all for all practical purposes a, a a kid who was a you know just out of school for all you know for he's, he's very young. He's he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a young guy. He did a lot of campaigning apparently, and he mixed it up with the right people, and somebody picked him for one job, and he you know they back went back and forth him and and Chopra. The other one, the chief technology uh, officer of the United uh, States, and I started looking at. For one thing, his he has a master. He has a he claims to have a degree in psychology and biology, and there's no reference to biology in any of his transcripts uh, or in any of his uh, records. His degree is in psychology. It took him six years to get it. They call him a whiz kid. I'm wondering why it takes six years for a whiz kid to get a degree in psychology, which is a little kind of a you know one of those degrees like sociology, <laughs> like and zoology. So yeah, and zo or zoology, and uh, so there's a uh, so that's that kind of caught me off guard. Then we couldn't find his master's degree, which we did find, but it wasn't really at the University of Maryland College Park. It was at the what the locals considered the, the kind of the uh, Maryland's version of the University, University of, of Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, we got a lot of notes about that, and, and uh, so he does have a degree in information technology, whatever that is. But it's one of those, you know, it's, just, it's not what you. It's not from Harvard. Uh, I mean, his partner, Anish Chopra, has a, has better chops when it comes to his academic background, but he's basically a bureaucrat. And anyway, so we, I, so we started looking into this, and then the thing that really got me was he was a CEO of this Creostar company. He apparently worked for some other company that had the name Star at the end, so they sold Exo, to... Exostar, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and he sold, they sold to some other... or. No, they, the company that he used to work for, which uh, was sold to Exostar, I guess they didn't keep him on, and he so he went off and started his own company out of his house. And uh, there's no evidence. In fact, somebody just sent me a note today showing that it was like he the, the company basically folded because he failed to pay some fees and he didn't really care. <laughs> and uh, that's actually on Twitter. I have a Twitter to that. Now, now and, the th the, if I can wait, just, wait, 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 let me finish. Here's the thing that bugs me. He was keep calling himself the CEO of this company. And if you're going to start calling yourself the CEO of a one-man company or w you and your wife, I, I think it's a little misleading. And this is the problem that we're having in this country today is the honesty factor and if anybody wants to defend somebody who, who wants to call themselves the ceo over and over in all their bios and that's one of their you know one of their stepping stones to this job this great ceo position i'm the ceo <laughs> welcome ceo i'm coming in <laughs> and when you're just one guy in a sole proprietorship that's really got no business why are you calling yourself the CEO unless you're trying to? And I want to point this out to people like Tim O'Reilly who think thinks that this Kundra guy is the greatest guy since sliced bread. Hey, Tim, it's called being misleading. 
He's misleading his entire bio, his background, the stuff that he says on these on these these panels makes it sound like he knows something. He's a mis. This is all part of a campaign to mislead the public. It's no different than the banks saying, "Well, free lifetime checking," and then <laughs> a little mistake, and boom, we're no ATM fees. <laughs> Yeah, no ATM fees. Boom. Where's the three bucks? Why am I taking three bucks out? I mean, this kind of thing is unacceptable. We're sick of it. And this guy is just another example. And why would anybody defend him? And what gets me is... Where's the biology degree? So what gets me is is the actual need for a CIO. Because this is actually a title that cropped up in the mid to late 90s as we had the dot-com boom and you had uh, many companies had a chief technology officer. Usually, if it was a new dot com company, it was usually the co founder, uh, the guy who invented some technology. And I, and I will say, my, CTOs are always inventors. And m- myself, without any degree in anything except except uh, a uh, well, I've minored in herbology. Uh, I was the chief technology officer of a publicly listed company on Nasdaq, which I co founded. Uh, I, I do not consider myself to be a technologist at all. I can hack together some Apple scripts. But at a certain point, people started calling me the CIO when they were talking about our company. Like, I'm not the CIO. And this, this was a new job that was created. And I kind of figured it out what it, what the CIO at the time was when this position was literally just made up was they needed a guy who could translate mumbo jumbo um, technology stuff into marketing speak. That's essentially what a CIO did. And so you had companies like um, uh, uh, Avon, and they have a chief technology officer at Avon. They have huge uh, big iron back end, but then they needed someone who could talk, you know, marketing speak and, and uh, internet speak. And so this uh, chief information officer uh, function was created. But after a while, it kind of became the role of an accountant. And I read from the White House press release, March 5th, 2009, one day, I will add, one day after he resigned from the, uh, as chief technology officer of the, uh, of the state, uh, of the Commonwealth of, uh, of Maryland, or was it uh, Virginia? Uh, probably Virginia. Virginia. Uh, on the very same day when there was a raid on the office and the people who reported directly to him were... Um, no, I think no, that, that raid thing was the D.C. office, wasn't it? Uh, Washington, D.C.? That was the D.C. office, yes. Yeah. But that was, so he resigned on March 4th. March 5th, they raid the office, and we'll get to that in a second. And uh, President Obama uh, names Vivek Kundra, the federal chief information officer, uh, CIO at the White House. This is a federal position, okay? So this is a part of the executive branch. It's the real deal. And here is the. Yeah, you don't want a bunch of slouches in there. Well, when you listen to what he's responsible for, the federal chief information officer directs the policy and strategic planning of federal information technology investments and is responsible for oversight of federal technology spending. So he is, he holds the budget, he holds the money. Yeah. I yeah, mean, but that's that's billions and billions of dollars. And I'll point out that not only he, but also um, his buddy there, uh, Anish, they have a lot of background in medical IT. And this, of course, is where it's all going to come to bear. This is why people love these guys. 
uh, in the technology field because you know if you if you're you know the, all this money is going to be spent on healthcare. And of course, just like the United Kingdom, the first thing that always pops up is, well, we've got to automate it and get everything on digital records. And it's got to be, uh, you know, this is a great IT opportunity. And in the United Kingdom, I think they've, they've misspent by their own admission three or four billion pounds. The whole thing is a complete failure. You know, you get all these contractors and pull everyone together and they build huge Oracle databases and all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, it, it never works. So this guy's well, kind of responsible. It never works because there's never anybody in charge of it that knows what they're doing, and this is the problem that we have here. You know, I, I've said this before. If you took the employee directory at Xerox Park, the Palo Alto Research Center, and put it up on a wall and threw a dart at it, you'd have a guy more qualified than this guy. <laughs> well, here's what he's done today. And by the way, I think people that work for companies like Xerox Park must look at this, and they must be shaking their heads. Why, has, why does this person have this job? In fact, why did, I would say the same thing with Kundra. Why do they have this job, and why are they getting so much support from certain elements of Silicon Valley? Well, I think that's very that's very easy to understand. Uh, it's all about the friendships. It's all about the connections. It's all about who you know, and it's a it's a it's a big sales job. This guy is the buyer. That's essentially what he is. He is the buyer for the United States government for everything we're going to do in technology. He's going to buy. So here's this guy who's and by the way, that other outfit he worked for, that consultancy. Ah, what was it called? Um, you wrote about it in your piece, actually. Um, I jotted it down. Hold on a second. Mm. <sighs> Help me out here, John. Well, somebody in the no, no. Chat, it's right? the it's the it's, World it's, Cities Alliance. Okay? Oh, right, that. So the World Cities Alliance, and of course, he was a part of the Greater Washington Initiative, the GWI. What these guys do is they essentially, if you want to move your company into Washington, in this case, he's going to go set everything up for you. So they're paid consultants. And they make introductions, you know, they, they, everything from housing, you name it. But you look at who's on, uh, uh, on the board or who are the investors of this Greater Washington Initiative. Oh, man. It's number one, the chairman, Wachovia. Okay, that's where it starts. We've got the uh, Bank of America. We've got Deloitte and Touche. We've got um, SunTrust Bank. Oh, interesting, the Washington Post, not quite sure what they're doing on there. But it's all, it's a club, right? And, and everyone gets together and everyone's wheeling and dealing because you know if you get a government contract, that's good for life. That's the beauty. That is the best thing you can have ever is a government contract because then you can mooch and loot the people. Well, there's, uh, there's that. <laughs> so then I don't blame these guys for kissing his ass. Well, that's what it's all about, John. That's all that it's about. So, so he's the best. He's the best. So what has he done? He's taken reports that were already available and basically put them into a WYSIWYG, a, a, a cool little interface. In 1994, there's a report issued by then Senator Cohen that talked about billions of dollars that are being wasted on information technology projects. So, so listen to what he's saying. Billions of dollars being wasted. This is a report. Now listen to what he's done. He's actually taken this report of billions of dollars and made it into pie charts. Last year, there's a report that talked about $30 billion of IT investments that were in trouble. Yet, the reporting that was there was a management watch list, which is a static list that Congress, the GAO, um, and the administration issued. 
the president talked about a culture where we move away from secrecy, where we can change the default position of the federal government from secret to open and transparent. So what we did is we built a dashboard that would... This is a big Silicon Valley term, by the way, a dashboard. Every, your company has to have a dashboard. So the board of directors can look at the dashboard and know how the company's doing. It is the biggest farce in the world, a dashboard. So he's taken this data and built a dashboard. Lift the veil on IT expenditures. As soon as we launched this public-facing dashboard, which exposed every layer of spending, from who was responsible for the project with actually the picture of the CIO on that project, so you could actually see who is running this project, uh, which contractors are working on it, where we are in terms of milestones on that project. And uh, we, re- we saw very... Right. So- He's taken this data, which was already available, which was out in a report uh, starting in 1994 and, or 2004, and has put it into nifty little pie charts that you can click on. Please go to the IT dashboard because I spent uh, half a day on this thing. Oh, please try and find the recovery.gov spending. Try and find the picture of the guys who, who was responsible for the contract, who's running the project, the contractor. Find all the information he just mentioned. And it's just not there. In fact, the majority of these projects have zero dollars because there's little asterisks at the bottom of the page. Uh, this is only based upon the information that was available. So he's just taking the same stupid data that's not not transparent not being made available and putting it into pie charts from the same so yeah, useless data turned into pie charts so this from the same conference he unveiled two very important pieces of information he unveiled to us why the u.s patent and trademark office is so fucked up and an important piece of information about 9-11 which i want to play for you right now what we're seeing in the federal government is there are some agencies that have led, some because they were looking at broadband and uh, teleworking as a mechanism to drive productivity and um, essentially make sure that they were attracting the best people, and others that were reacting to adverse circumstances. So the Patent and Trademark Office is a perfect example where you have a federal agency that's got a program in place where close to 50% of the employees are actually teleworking. Yeah. No wonder it's messed up. We got half of the PTO sitting at home. They're probably housewives reading through patent applications. <laughs> so, oh, this podcasting thing. Yeah, let's give that to Volo Media. I mean, it's so obvious. Is that a success? Is the Patent and Trade- Trademark Office a success, Mr. Vivek? Because the 50% of them are at home? John. He said it was a success because of that? Yeah, he says it's a success. Replay that clip so he says success. Back it up a second. Yeah, listen. So the Patent and Trademark Office is a perfect example where you have a federal agency that's got a program in place where close to 50% of the employees are actually teleworking. And the PTO, USPTO, will tell you that they're already seeing over $2 million in cost savings and 14,000 tons of carbon emissions that have oh, been... I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> We have saved 14 million trillion tons of carbon emission. I'm not taking into account these people sitting in their underwear farting at their at their kitchen tables. Well, yeah, you always save money with teleworkers because you don't have so much. That, 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 so what? It doesn't mean they're doing a better job. Now listen to this. What I'd like to highlight is the GAO. So that's the General Accounting Office, right? That's uh, that's the uh, yeah. 
they're responsible for for this expenditure. Are they an oversight? Uh, They're like the accountants for the country. Oh, well, listen to this. This is something I didn't know. I'd like to highlight is the GAO. After September 11th, the GAO had to vacate its building uh, because of the anthrax attack of the Senate Hart building. Did you know that? Um, That puts a whole new perspective on uh, on the anthrax attacks. For me, it does, at least. Well, I, for you, it would. Um, I didn't know that specifically, no. I don't think so. I don't know that the GAO, the, our government's uh, bean counters all had... And what were the... Oh, right, there was a Senate bill. They probably, I guess, their offices are there. And so they all left. And so people could go in there and cook the books. Well, well <laughs> That's remember... That's what you're thinking. Well, I know that. Well, uh, on September uh, 10th, Donald Rumsfeld, and we have it on video said, uh, you know, well, we're missing $2 trillion from the Pentagon. We're really not quite sure where it went. You know, it's just an oversight. We can't find it. Boom! All this stuff starts to happen. And then not only does Building building 7 go down, uh, without a plane crashing into it, I might add, uh, but then we have anthrax attacks at where the GAO is, the guys who would actually kind of know where this money went. I'm just saying. They've, they've got to have backups tapes. I mean, of course, if you have people that are running uh, the the uh, information technology side of the country, don't really have a background in in, in true in, in being a, like a like a CIO like for Procter and Gamble might have a background in. Uh, it's possible to be uh, completely ripped off. I mean, this is just a, this is scenario is is very is a bad situation. So then uh, I find this other clip of him talking about his start. In uh, public service, which it's just, I just love tying this all together, and I'm not making a conspiracy theory out of it, but just listen to uh, his own words about how he got started in public service. Hold on, here it comes. Story with you uh, in terms of how I got into public service. It was on September 11, 2001, and I was sitting in Arlington, Virginia, uh, being interviewed for the job of Director of Infrastructure Technology. And it was about 8.30 in the morning uh, when the interview began. In the middle of it, someone knocks on the door and says, we've entered a federal emergency. I'm sitting there thinking, what the fuck I say here? And suddenly, you know, we turn on CNN and we see the second plane going to the World Trade Center. And there, you know, the CIA asked me to join on the spot and I accept, accepted the job. And that was September 11, 2001. Interoperability was such an important issue back then. So, I don't know if you could hear that clip because it's kind of kind of muddled. So, he was doing his job interview on September 11th, 2001, at 8:30 in the morning when uh, the attacks occur on the on New York. What job was he asking for? Because it says something about technology. It was. It's very hard to hear. But, hmm. but the thing that's because, interesting, because apparently he got his degree from that little uh, college. Uh, outlet uh <laughs> it's, like, <in> two, <laughs> it's like a factory outlet hey here's your degree <laughs> in 2002 so that doesn't make any sense in terms of the timeline but you know okay go on but but then listen so instead of you know this was horrible and what an atrocity he's thinking i must lay fiber listen <laughs> how do we build institutional networks how do we get fiber from Arlington to D.C. to Fairfax and the entire region. So what we did is we created the NCR net. And we've got like... Now, you got to go watch the clip, because when you see his lips move, you can understand it better. Well, we'll have it in the so, show so, notes. So basically, so he, the, during the September 11th thing, he wasn't aghast. He was thinking about... No, no, he was thinking about, oh, this, I have to lay fiber between all these different... Oh, what uh, a crock of crap. 
<laughs> and when you see the insincerity as he's telling, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I was thinking something else at the time, dude. I don't know about you, but he was thinking, I need to lay fiber. But it's an interesting story about how I got into public service. It's one for the grandkids. You know, the problem with guys like this who are the CEO of a one-person company uh, is that they, 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 they just – they just I think they're just too loose with the facts and the truth and the way and the, and the, and the timeline and everything in between. He's going to get himself into trouble. I mean, my thing you know, had a certain impact on a few readers, my article, which people should go back and read. It's on the blog. And um, – but it had no, it had zero impact. I mean, he his minions uh, got a hold of uh, uh, Om Malik, who runs a blog in you know uh, called uh, whatever Giga it's called Giga Om. Giga Om. Sorry. And and Ohm's a friend of mine, and so he didn't you know pick too much of it out. But he did you know run there whatever they told him to because he's it turns out that the the group of people that are involved with uh, sponsoring uh, uh, Vivek and others, uh, or if you start digging deep enough, you find the financing of Ohm's blog is from this same group, and people put that together before I did. I didn't dream it up. Well, and. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the guy says that, you know, this is, you know, this, they just had a blast of saying that the, whatever, I, all my whole column was lies and, you know, slanderous, scandalous lies. And I mean, if you read the column, read it for yourself and tell me you think it's a bunch of lies. It's just a, it, it just a, I'm just questioning and, and notice why how, this now, guy notice, has the job. And notice how you called the White House. Did you call the White House? Did you send an no, email? I send a, no, you can't, you just, you can't call the White House. You got to go through this email thing, which I did. I went through a process. Have I you heard anything got. yet? Have you heard Anything? No, it's, it goes into a pot of nothing. So, so Omalik, like, uh, uh, you know, sends out the bat signal, and he's got the the oversight management board spokesperson on the line. I mean, you have no pull, Johnny Boy. I'm a little disappointed. After 25 years in the business, I mean, you have 30. no pull. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, oh, yes. I, I don't have any pull 30. because I guess I'm not a you know I uh, a contributor to the Democrat Party. I so, mean, if you look at all the people, if you read my the, the column I wrote, you you note the people that all praise this situation. Is no, if then Tim O'Reilly, you know the great Tim O'Reilly says nobody could be more qualified. He's qualified. No, you can't beat him. Well, he's, he's not. The most, I, there's all kinds of questions. You know, the thing that has been severely underreported in the news was so again March fourth, uh, two thousand nine. He resigns from his uh, post. Uh, as a chief technology officer for uh, DC, right? September, uh, March. And there's a scandal with all the people he hired over there. And by the way, as far as I know, he's in. It was in Virginia when they remember when there was that that break in and somebody stole all the health records of everybody in the state. Yeah. And then they they put an extortion note out. Wasn't he in charge then? That was exactly the same thing. And so they arrested the guy who reported directly to him, the Yusuf Akar. Uh, they he was the chief security officer. Reporting directly. Nice find. Yeah, reporting I'm sure that directly. O'Reilly would think he was a great choice. Now, the second suspect who was arraigned on bribery charges, Sushil Banzal, was the CEO and founder of Advanced Integrated Technologies Corp., which is a company that Vivek worked for. You know, and, and, uh, yeah, but where's the follow-up? Where's the we... follow-up? Where's the what happened to these guys? Did they ever figure it out? I mean, and how come? So Vivek was then put, you know, on uh, on temporary leave, and then a couple weeks later, boom, he's back. You're the CIO. Yeah, he wasn't under investigation. Yeah, but he was in charge. He was in charge of these jabronis. 
Well, and then the curious thing, of course, is Vivek was caught for shoplifting in 97, which I think accounted for the fact that it took him six years to get a degree in psychology because it was right in the middle of it. It was, I think, the year before, the, probably the year he should have graduated, um, which was in uh, 1997. Hmm. Well, so... By the way, Nick Shapiro, a White House spokesman, uh, 20 years ago, Vivek committed, he says, 20 years ago, Vivek committed a youthful indiscretion, stealing shirts from pennies. (coughs) It's like, let me put some more shirts on here and see if I can walk out. (laughs) Uh, It's a youthful indiscretion. He wanted some shirts. He's probably a snazzy dresser. So I, I do have uh, a theory, if you, if you want to hear it. Oh, somebody just sent me a note that said there was no backup tapes in Virginia when the tapes were stolen by the hackers. And this is funny. Of course not. That's, that's our CIO, ladies and gentlemen, taking care of business. Yay. No backup tapes. Let's, and the other thing that, the other thing that, by the way, that triggered this article was the fact that this guy kept, which is the reason I think O'Reilly and these others think he's great. He keeps talking about Twitter. And he keeps, well, oh, he his Twitter feed Twitter ha- hasn't been government. updated since 2008. His Twitter <laughs> feed is dead. Tw- and Facebook, we should be using Facebook more. We should be using Google Docs for yeah. our government agencies. Go It'll to, save so much money. Go to his Twitter feed. Is his Twitter feed dead? Yes. Well, he must have a new one now. No, what do you mean? Why, should, why would he have a look, new look, one? Try, look up something new. Try, just take a shot at it. The, the great Kundra, just see if it's under that. <laughs> the real Kundra. <laughs> the real Kundra. <laughs> no, I'm looking at his Twitter feed right now. It's uh, twitter.com slash Vivek Kundra. Last entry... Tweet. 11, last tweet, 11.58 a.m., October 31st, 2008. D.C. Oh, government publishes procurement data online for Apps for Democracy Innovation Contest. He's had like five, no, four tweets total. Maybe he can't find the on switch to the computer. Leveraging the power of technology to improve service delivery, drive innovation, and bridge the digital divide to build a world-class city. Hey, thanks, Vivek. Love well, it. Anyway, we're, All right. So, so okay. So this Yusuf, so this Yusuf Akar was busted apparently uh, through a, an FBI agent who was wearing a wire, and according to sources, okay. So this is Adam Curry crackpot stuff, but take take it at face value. Akar also told the informant he could use his computers to create fake birth certificates. So now I'm now, and I'm not a birther by any Hello, by, by any means. I am not a birther at all. But I'm thinking <laughs> this guy, you know. So he he's named CIO for no apparent reason. Um, then all of a sudden these guys get busted, and he's put, so Vivek is put on the on the sidelines, and then he's kind of like ushered back in. He's got to know something. He's got to have something on somebody. This guy is either going to rise to be the president in the future, or we'll find him out back with two to the head. One or the other. It's going to happen. Yeah. Well. Anyway, that's kind of the story. I, this is, is going to be the first in a series of stories. Not about him. I, I'm done with him. I'm well, not no, I'm not. I, I, I want to play one more clip, John. Well, Just, no, I'm not done with him on the show. I'm saying oh. I'm done writing about him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, more clips, the merrier. Okay, this is the clip. The, I just love this. And you have to know, the guy got his start, uh, according to uh, the Indian publications, and I researched a little bit here and there, uh, in telemarketing. So he was a telemarketer in India. So we've, I've probably talked to him. I've, I've probably had a conversation <laughs> You've with him. You've probably been sold something by him. <laughs> I've probably had a conversation with him. So this is near the very end of the broadband panel sponsored by the FCC. 
Uh, by the way, the dude running the FCC is also a whole other interesting uh, area we need to look into. But just listen to the utter bullshit coming out of Vivek's mouth. And if I can add to that, you know, I, I think one of the, the biggest problems we see right now is the fact that so much of what we do online actually requires training. Is that a fact, John? Uh, not that I know of. I, don't, I, I haven't taken any training. <laughs> Maybe I can go to that university and get some training. Are you training. taking training to get the NoAgendaStream.com working? You'd have training for that? Training. You have training to learn how to use it's Twitter? A fact. Here it comes. And I think where you're going to see the greatest innovation in the coming decade is going to be around that human-computer interface. Okay. I love it when people get started on this, particularly with you, John, because I believe you were the one who... 25 years ago said the mouse would never amount to anything, right? I never said that. <laughs> you did? Are you sure? I can give you the, I can tell you exactly what I said. I said there, when the mouse, this is always annoying because people keep dredging this stuff up. This, I'm like a senator that can't run for president because there's too much baggage. What happened in 1984 when the mouse was introduced on the Macintosh, I had a laundry list of reasons I didn't think the Macintosh would do well. By the way, and most of those, those things I complained about were all corrected because I actually had, was challenged by an Apple guy who said, what do you think about this column you wrote back then? And so I said, well, here it is. And then I went item by item and every one of these complaints of mine was changed but the one thing i said about the mouse was the following i said there's no evidence there's a new device no one's seen it before there's no evidence that anybody wants to use these things because there was no evidence it just came out i i never said it was going to fail you know how i have explained this till i'm blue in the face but people keep cropping it up it keeps coming up now because every time i complain about it, they, they bring it up again just to annoy me i have to say a it's working uh, B, I love reading the comments on your blog and with the knowledge that people just kind of hate you as much as they hate me. So I, I feel, I feel very good about it. Now let's, let's listen because the Different humor, kind of the human, <laughs> it's a loveful hate. The human computer interface blows. Vivek has an idea. And think about this. I know there are people on, uh, Second Life right now. But imagine a universe. I love it. Imagine a universe. Well, wait a minute. Stop, stop, he's, stop. He's doing a VC pitch. Why does he pitch? throw the Second Life reference in at all? He doesn't make any other reference to it. He says, I know there are people. On, so it's, like saying, it's like I'm talking to you saying, I know there's somebody eating cheese as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Because there were people. They had a whole table of guys like the setting guy up in like Second Life. has like a list, a life. checklist of things. He has to just say it. Oh, well, it gets better. Okay. People eating cheese out there. Now. But imagine a universe where you had the Star Trek holodeck, where you could literally ask the computer uh, to act or ask questions and get answers. Oh, my gosh. He just invented Google. Unbelievable. You can, you yeah, can literally you, you, do that. Google voice search literally does that. Well, imagine a universe. Imagine a universe. With a it's holodeck. like a holodeck, though, because you'd have to be able to walk into it, and you'd, and you'd have things computer, you'd see. Computer, computer, on, computer on. Okay, now listen, it gets better. In the same way, if you look at some of these software companies, they've made it so complicated to interact with... <laughs> What's he talking about? You evil software companies. You've made it so complicated to make us to enable us to interact with the data. Listen, listen, listen to what he says. Complicated to interact with their technologies, uh, and at the same time, the underlying architecture and the platforms. It's almost a chicken and egg question. Okay, I love this. At the same time, what did he say? 
This is this is he's. It's like he's standing in front of VCs pitching a really bad idea. Now the the, the thing that he said there again, by the way, which got to me. What does he mean by it's almost a chicken and egg question? Well, let's listen. What is he talking let's, about? Let's listen to it again. Technologies, uh, and at the same time, the underlying architecture. The underlying architecture. And the platform. And the platform. It's, it's almost a chicken. Uh, it's almost a chicken and an egg. The underlying platform or the or the underlying technology of the platform. Chicken or egg, John? Which one would you like? Chicken and egg and question. The- Here it comes. Because a lot of it was built and architected. Around bandwidth constraints. Huh? Please. A lot. A what? lot of. A lot of. Okay, Microsoft I, Word was built under bandwidth constraints, <laughs> and it made a big difference. Well, you need the, training the for Windows it. Seven is a bandwidth constraint thing. <laughs> Oracle was built the way it was because of bandwidth constraints. These things were all started as as kind of you know network oriented. It has nothing. To, none of this has to do anything to do with bandwidth, unless you're talking about Twitter. Well, stand by. Therefore, you had to deploy technologies. It's just a whole. So what he does in this case, and this is I've seen this happen time. Time and time again. Now it's just, I'm going to throw, in fact, I have to say, my partner Ron Bloom used to do this really, really well. You just throw out all kinds of buzzwords, one after another, and then the audience is just confused. Listen to what he comes up with. That were much more complicated in terms of interacting and communicating. Now, as broadband deployment, and more importantly, um, if you look at uh, the megabits per second, uh, how much uh, how much information can we get through the pipeline is going to be so important. And as new and new software technologies are being introduced, what you're going to see a huge change from how applications are architected with skip logic to... Okay. So I'm like, skip logic? Skip logic. Remember I told you the guy was a telemarketer? If you look at if you look up skip logic, skip logic is basically a tree s- structure where you go through a questionnaire, and the fr- and the first uh, skip is are you male or female? I'm female. Oh, we skip to the female questions. So he's now he's just pulling stuff out of his ass. Skip logic, but it sounds really good, and it gets better. Huge change from how applications are architected with skip logic to video. Oh, skip logic to video. And much more human ways of interacting with these applications. Here it comes, John. Rather than uh, binary or COBOL ways of interacting with okay. them. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> binary or COBOL. What is COBOL? Is that, isn't it's that a like... COBOL way of interacting. Yeah, it's <laughs> binary, is... or, it's binary is... or COBOL. What is that? This what? guy's a genius, I tell you. He's a whiz kid. He's a, he's a techno whiz, according to the New York Times. A techno whiz. <laughs> <laughs> Binary or cobalt. Don't look over here. Nothing to see here. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Binary or cobalt. Does he mean like cobalt, the, the old programming? Oh, that's cobalt, yeah. wasn't it? That's yeah, co- no, it's cobalt. It's pronounced cobalt. He got the pronunciation right. <laughs> cobalt. <laughs> I got to hear it again. Just, Actually, go back and play the whole clip without interrupting it. Oh, no, I can't do that. I, Not I, the whole I, clip, just the part about skip logic to cobalt. <laughs> get through the pipeline is going to be so important. And as new and new software technologies are being introduced, but you're going to see a huge change from how applications are architected with skip logic to video and much more human ways of interacting with these applications rather than 
uh, binary or COBOL ways of interacting with those applications. <laughs> because it. <laughs> okay. The guy yeah. is the guy is clearly a genius. He's a, he's a techno whiz, a whiz kid. <laughs> Nobody could be more qualified. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. No, so um more I had with you know then we have the other guy which is I think what got O'Reilly irked at me was uh Anish Anish Chopra. I, I, you know, I was looking for some connections because obviously there's an there's an Indian connection here, and it's pretty it's pretty obvious and understandable that expats, uh, you know, help each other out uh, in in all forms of uh, of work and social life. Uh, of course, uh, expats from the Netherlands, you know, from time to time get together and eat raw herring together. It seems that uh, expats from India give each other really cool jobs. And, I'm, and you know, and and and, and, and there's got to be deals going on. And I have to say, there's a lot of these guys uh, at Amazon, and they're tied into many, 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 many business ventures. And I'm not against it; that's all fine. But I, you know, I, I, I do have my questions. You know, when we, when we've got this guy responsible for potentially billions said, and billions of dollars, billions of, of dollars in spending, exactly, and he's baking pie charts of binary step logic and and COBOL. We have to communicate until now. We've had to communicate in binary. Yeah, I sit there typing ones and zeros and ones and zeros into Twitter. So, but interestingly enough, I looked up the owners of Smartronics, fully expecting to see an Indian ownership. Much to my surprise, which of course blows my entire theory, uh, Mohammed Arshed Javed is uh, one of the three owners. That's him and the Paris brothers known from Jesse James and the Paris Brothers, uh, he's Pakistani. That kind of blew my whole theory right there. Yeah, that uh, Pakistanis, and uh, you don't normally see that that kind of, uh, although in the U.S. It's, it's not the Pakistanis and the Indians don't hate each other that much. The, you know, they're same uh, in terms of uh, cultures. There's a similarity that's uh, kind of hard to anyway. Uh, so Vivek, Vivek can, uh, can, can do, do a solid by... Um, unredacting the Smartronics uh, deal. Deal. Yeah, so we can just read it, you know. What's and but I heard, by the way, that the whole thing is built on Drupal. What? Yes. Oh, this is going to send them to the through the roof. Are you telling me eighteen million dollars to build a Drupal website? Th- that's what I. I let me see no, I it's not possible. Way. There's no way. No, I was. Uh, it, it has to be built from it, for that kind of money. This no, thing should be built no. from scratch, from from vestigial virgins. No, I, <laughs> I rolled on the thighs of virgins. Uh, no, because I was reading some of the Blue State Digital who built uh, WhiteHouse.gov and they did Obama's site and did a number number of other sti- sites. And this is where uh, Vivek's right hand guy, kind of that pudgy dude, uh, who post who posted all the. Uh, who runs the blog? What's his name? Oh, the Ma- guy out of Mason, Chicago, Macon, yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, Ma- Macon Phillips, I think, is his name, mm. or Mason, or something like that. We, we need a, a wall of names that yeah. we can refer to. So uh, there was some some chattering going on because Blue State Digital was pissed off they didn't get the recovery.gov contract, and my understanding is it's running on Drupal. Well. I don't think recovery.org is going to be a Drupal site. Gov, I mean, it, dot gov, they're, dot they're gov. going to have – I keep making that mistake. Sorry. Recovery.gov. Stop it. it again. Stop it. 
uh, is going to be run on uh, Drupal because uh, I don't see how they're going to announce or I mean how they're going to rationalize that kind of money. These these new programs, software systems out there like Drupal or WordPress or you know any of them, our Squarespace that we use for for uh, noagenda.squarespace.com, all these things have made it. A, a, easier to do websites fast and extremely inexpensively. So why would you all of a sudden have to spend eighteen million dollars for what for a website that really um you know if it cost a million dollars it would be pretty it would be pushing it. And I keep getting uh, emails and all kinds of messages on the drop from people about other governmental um website revamps around the world max 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 half a million dollars is being spent some of them are like in germany i think i should look it up here uh they got 27 websites for like four hundred thousand euros well here's an right that's that's more like it now let me take a i just got sent a uh a link to fedspending.org a project of omb watch here let me, let me just interrupt you um in germany three hundred thousand euros for the new German Parliament's website, the Parliament's website, and that's that's you know that's a big deal too. I'm sorry. Federalspending.org, Smartronics Inc. contracts to. You can do, look this up. Go to Federalspending.org, everybody out there, and start looking stuff oh, up. Don't crash the site. Smartronics Inc. Federal. Uh, fiscal year 2000 to 2008, the contracts that went to this company, $201 million. These guys know how to sell. Yeah, they do. They made $53 million from full and open competition with only one bid. (laughs) For what project? God knows. I don't know if there's links to the project specific, but Whatever the case is, this company is just amazing. I mean, they have some hooks into something because they really know. I mean, I'm not going to fault them for, you know, for taking the taxpayers' money every chance they get. But I have to say, these guys know how to sell because they're amazing. And now they're getting 18 million for one crummy Drupal website. If it's it's Drupal, I'm skeptical. I would like to see documentation to prove that. I would like to see it too. Somebody just sent me some documentation. Hey, by the way, <laughs> boom, it's official that was on fast. the Drupal website, Drupal.org. The website, it's official on Drupal. Recovery.gov is on Drupal. Okay, jobs, guys. Gals. Jobs, jobs, and jobs. Let's vote for jobs. Okay, guys, gals, this is a letter from the recovery.gov development team. I can confirm one thing. www.recovery.gov is on Drupal. We were able to put out this out pretty fast, and in the coming months, you're going to see how it's going to evolve. A lot of dynamic data will be posted there, and you'll see a more powerful website on Drupal soon. <laughs> that, that may have to be the opening of the show, John. Let me just mark down the time code. <laughs> well, there you go. An $18 million Drupal website. Need we say any more? <laughs> Need we? Say, you know, and I'm, I'm all for you the suckers cut. out there who are working for ten thousand dollars are idiots. No, sh- and think about all the great Drupal developers that are out there who would would be great to have people. I mean, we, we could create jobs. I mean, there's tons of people who can who are really good at Drupal. Oh yeah, and that they make some slick stuff, and they could probably out slick recovery.gov for a hundred grand. But that's okay. 
So I just, what? No, I just I got, a, I got a message Nobody from my cares. friend. Hey, I got an email from my friend, John. Just came in fresh off the press. My friend, David Axelrod. I received oh, yes, from- I got the David Axelrod no, 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 letter, no, no, too. No, 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 this is a new one. It just came in. It just the, came in. It's a new just one. Just a second, because I got one this morning. One hour ago. Did you get okay, it one well, hour ago? No, no, it was like this morning. It was like two, three hours ago. Dear friend... That's my friend, David, yeah, David Axelrod, friend. who is, you know, he's the PR guy. He's Goebbels, right? Uh, well, I, he's kind of, I think he's more like Goering personally, but <laughs> Goebbels is okay. This is probably one of the longest emails I've ever sent, but it could be the most important. It's, doesn't it sound like a Nigerian email scam when it starts off like that? And this is, across the country, we are seeing vigorous debate about health insurance reform. Unfortunately, some of the old tactics we know so well are back. Even the viral emails that fly unchecked and under the radar, spreading all sorts of lies and distortions. He's talking about you, John. I don't send out email. Well, people are sending emails about your piece. Oh, yeah. As President Obama said at the town hall in New Hampshire, where we do disagree, let's disagree over things that are real, not these wild misrepresentations that bear no resemblance to anything that's actually being proposed. So let's start a chain email of our own. Wow, he's starting to spam. At the end of my email, you will find lots of information about health insurance reform distilled into, okay, blah, 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 blah. Right now, you probably, you know, you, someone you know probably has a question for you about that could be answered by what's below. So what are you waiting for for this email? And of course, it's, uh, he has a link to Reality Check, which is something we were going to talk about based upon a previous email that came earlier this week from my friend David Axelrod, senior advisor to the president. But he says, um, P.S., we launched whitehouse.gov slash reality check this week to knock down the rumors and lies that are floating around the Internet. You can find the information below and much, much more. For example, we've just added a video by Nancy Ann DeParley from our health reform office tackling a viral email head on. And I'd like to play this for you, John, because it is it is total doublespeak Ministry of Truth stuff. You ready? Yeah, I'm all I'm all ears. So the title of the video is "The Return of the Viral Email." The, the return. Ret- the return. The return. When did it stop? <laughs> the return of the viral email. Here she comes, Nancy. Take it away, baby. Cue. Hi, I'm Nancy Ann DeParle, and I'm the director of the White House Office of Health Reform. I bet most of you. By the way, this whole video is chopped up into bits. It's like clip, I've heard of viral it. emails. In fact, have you heard of viral emails, John? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> it must be something new. All right, here we go. Oh, come on, play, play, play. One of the folks that I work with here at the White House. Oh, it's fucking buffering. <laughs> it's buffering. You, you have to. You have to hard code The federal government will have direct, real-time access to all individual bank accounts for electronic funds transfer. Okay, so... Here are the facts behind that. First of all, I'm pretty sure that this whole effort here... Screw it. Let me just pull it back for a second. So, what she's debunking, and they actually use all these words here about debunking, uh, all these uh, lies. So, this is from the... um, from the help, the proposed health care bill, at least the one that I've read, where the federal government will have direct real-time access to all individual bank accounts for electronic funds transfer. Now listen to how she debunks it and what she actually says. Here are the facts behind that. 
First of all, I'm pretty sure that this whole effort here came from the administrative simplification um, efforts that the, the health insurance industry itself has asked for Congress and the administration to undertake. Individuals, not the government, will be in charge of their bank accounts, just like they are today. The next so, charge so, in the so, email ah! comes... Did you hear what she says? She says individuals will be charged in charge of their bank accounts, just as it is today. But that's not the question. The question is, will the government have real-time access to your bank account? Which is, I, the, that's the way I read it, too. But she's not saying they won't have real-time access. She's saying, oh, you'll still be in charge of your bank account. Do you hear the subtle difference, John? Yes, it, it works like this. You ask a question, well, I'm afraid that the government is going to be looking at my bank account for real time anytime they want to. No, no, no. You're going to have the exact same bank account you had before, and you're going to have the same, and you'll be using it exactly the same way. Nothing's going to change for you. Yeah, or as we uh, say... Don't look over here. Nothing to see here. Ooh, look at that. I'll just play a little bit more of this. The video's a little wonky. Well, this is another example, by the way, of this kind of deceitful thing going on constantly that people are getting sick of, by the way. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's so blatant. I don't, I don't understand how, they can put, how he can send a, a blast email to everyone and then and this video. All right, let's continue. Hold on. For Congress and the administration to undertake. Individuals, not the government, will be in charge of their bank accounts, just like they are today. The next charge in the email comes from, they say, page 145 of the bill. An employer must auto-enroll employees into the government-run health pl public plan. No alternatives. That's the quote from the email. I've read the bill. There's an absolutely no such requirement in the bill on page 145 or any other page. The email says that on page 239, the bill will reduce physician services for Medicaid, seniors and the poor most affected. All right, so the so bill will reduce physician services for Medicaid, seniors and the poor most affected. So let's listen to the answer to this one. Crappy video. Play. Physician services for Medicaid, seniors and the poor most affected. Again, not true. On the contrary, in this section of the bill, the health insurance reform legislation prevents a scheduled 21% cut in the Medicare physician fee schedule. So she's talking about the fee schedule, not about the services. It's, no. a, it's one of these subtle differences. And, and I'm, just, I'm just blown away. I mean, even if, the, if, if they intend to say it, if they're really intending to debunk it, I'm all for that because I would like to have real answers as well. By the way, I just found out that uh, the insurance company that insures our company's uh, a medical plan has raised our um, uh, our our premium, our cost by fifteen, seventeen percent for next year. So it's not that I'm against reform or basically getting these asshole insurance companies out of it. But you, you, you have to now tell us what you said in the meeting. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not a good idea. <laughs> no, I think it's funny. No, I don't think it's very funny. Um, it wasn't funny at the time either. But anyway, go on. Well, I, well, 
you wouldn't mind it if these people were honest and, and straightforward. And, you know, instead of trying to say, you know, they get criticized for this stuff, you know, they'd be better off ignoring it. You know, if somebody wants to send out a, a viral email moaning and groaning about this, that, and the other thing, they can find the one or two things in there that are really genuinely wrong, and there's probably a couple, and just ignore the rest of it. I mean, why are they going to, why, why say, oh, no, you're going to still run the banks, but your bank account the way you've always run your bank account. The government's not going to run your bank account. That's not what the question was. Is the government going to be monitoring the bank account? Do they have real-time access? And I read it literally. We read that on this show. It literally says there will be, for debits and credits, there will be a real-time connection between the government and your bank account. It says it, but she's not debunking it that way. It just That just angers me. Yeah, well, no. it's part of this dishonesty, you know. They, I mean, you can talk honesty all you want. I mean, it always reminds me of Microsoft in the old days. <laughs> they would keep using the word innovation. I wrote a bunch of columns on this, you know, tracking the use of the word innovation at Microsoft because they had no innovation. So they figured that if they kept using the word enough, people would assume, oh, they must, oh, yeah, Microsoft, Microsoft, my oh, innovation comes to mind, you know. So if you're going to say open and honest and, you know, transparent, keep saying it. Just say it a million times so when you think of Obama, you think a transparent because the word has been used a lot, yeah. but it's bogus, and the public is are, are complete idiots for following along with this kind of a thing without being more skeptical. This is one of the things that really bugs me, by the way, about you know some of the feedback I got in that column. I don't want to go back to it, but I'm going to just mention this one thing. Whatever happened when I was a kid? Wait a minute! Wait, wait a minute, John. Can we do the jingle now? Oh, this will be a pet peeve. Yes, John C. Dvorak, pet peeve of the day. Hey. The incomparable <laughs> Jeff Smith, everybody. The JeffSmith.com. Yeah, awesome. Let's play, I'll play it after you're done. Okay, go. Uh, so, people moan and groan. There seems to be some issue with you know anybody standing up and criticizing or saying anything about anything nowadays. Everybody's a bunch. We're talking about sheep. People used to mock it. You know, the talk show hosts call them sheeple, and people use the term. But everyone, there's this. When I was a kid, you know, in the '60s and '70s. There was a bumper sticker that used to float around, and it was a bumper sticker that was mostly employed by liberals, Democrats, progressives, you know, people who were radicals. They wanted over. They wanted a revolution. They wanted to legalize marijuana. They wanted the you know the Republicans out. And the thing, and the bumper sticker said, "Question authority," and everybody drove around with this bumper sticker, "Question authority, question authority." These same people. If you question authority, they get in your face about it because you're not supposed to question authority. You're supposed to listen to, like, for example, what Tim O'Reilly says because he's authority and he thinks Vivek's a good guy. So don't question that. So O'Reilly, of course, has 900,000 followers on his Twitter account. I've got a mere 59. He's got 900,000 because he's in tight with the Twitter folks. And in fact, for some unknown reason, he's got one of those qualified, verified, authenticated name <laughs> buttons at the top of his site. I wow. have applied for this. People are copying me, you know, saying they're me, and they do it in the chat room. I'm under a kind of a constant attack. They won't give me the authentication, but they'll give it to Tim O'Reilly. And, you know, and then they'll also promote him to get his numbers up. But he's an he's a icon of authority, and you don't question authority. What happened to these same people that were running the bumper stickers that said question authority? They don't question authority anymore. They're a bunch of monkeys. John C. Dvorak, pet peeve of the day. Brought to you by Alpo. <laughs> hey, John, uh, I want to congratulate Sorry you. Sorry about that. No, no, I like that. I like that. Uh, you know why it is? It's because 
Tim O'Reilly uh, promised not to sue the, uh, the government uh, and uh, Vivek Kundra over the use of Government 2.0. That's why he's in good graces there, because, of course, he came up with Web 2.0. And he sues people who use it. Yes, except, the, except That's for... That's sweet. Yes. John, I'm going to send you a link right now. Congratulations. I, you did it. I didn't think you could actually pull it off. Uh, I owe you a full bar of gold. Uh, I can see that you've put together a wonderful crop circle. This was this... Uh, Showed up on uh, Woodboro Hill, which of course is, uh, this showed up uh, three days ago, uh, which is right near uh, Wiltshire. Uh, great job, uh, John. You're welcome. Once again, another, uh, this is a beautiful crop circle. The owl, you like that? The owl, yeah. And, yeah, I uh, thought that was a dedication to the Bohemian Club. Yeah, and I, <laughs> Bohemian Grove. And uh, it's really good. I mean, all the detail is there. I mean, I, I didn't think you could pull it off in that short yeah, amount I mean, of time. So it, was, uh, it didn't take long, dude. When will you start just b- believing a little bit that this is not man-made? People, this is <laughs> these things come right. out every Owls three days from outer space. <laughs> it's not Owls <laughs> from space. It's not from outer space. I think it's harmonics from the earth. <laughs> Owls from the balls. <laughs> <laughs> my challenge still remains to you, my friend. This is a beautiful one. And, of course, the link will be in the show notes at noagenda.mevo.com. It's just, it's just beautiful. Meanwhile, um, of course, while uh, the government is um, actually listening in on you uh, while we're being screwed left and right, the big news, or as I should say... And now, back to real news... This will be all over the techosphere. Apparently, the Palm Pre, uh, if you're an owner of one, is uploading your data to home base, including your GPS location, which I think is pretty nice. <laughs> why, do they, why do these companies dream this stuff up, and why do they do it? Uh, you know, it's, they always get busted. It's, it's, Just, but it's anonymized. Know. No one actually knows who you yeah, are. Sure. No, they just there's a dot there they can take out with a black helicopter. Uh, but then, you know this will be a huge story. Everyone's going to be like, "Ooh, Prompre, they're evil," uh, and all the other evil shit that actually goes on. People just don't look at it anymore. Uh, no, don't care. Don't no, care. but they're all w- wiped out about their you know something the iPhone's doing. I'm going Galt. That's what I'm doing. I'm looking for a place. You know, my my plane is coming. John uh, accompanied me to the hangar yesterday. My new hangar. At uh, Oakland Airport. First, we had to take the beef out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring along your uh, bolt cutters. Uh, but uh, the plane will be ready. Uh, I'm sure when I find where the uh, where Galt's Gulch is in uh, Colorado, I'll be flying there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think Colorado is a good choice. I think it's, it's kind of a radioactive state. Although I don't think Wyoming's much less radioactive. But I think the opportunities for hanging out in Wyoming are much higher. I think there's more. Uh, Montana some, seems to have some interesting. Montana. Spots. The problem with Montana. I've always thought about these states. People go to Montana and then they die way too. They just drop dead. I think the place is totally poisonous or something. You know, the, but when you when you Google, uh, you know, where is Galt's Gulch? And of course, I'm referring to Atlas Shrugged. I know you hate it. Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah, uh, there's actually a lot of people who have built places where you can buy property called Galt's Gulch. It's uh, it's pretty interesting, <laughs> and they've got communities. 
Well, you need a place. You need a you need about uh, fifty acres, some or more, someplace in the middle of nowhere that has that's kind of that has the right kind of environment for a landing strip. Yeah. And then you just land there, and you just park your car, and you know. No, but of course, the trick is we need to take all the great thinkers and producers, and we need to. They all need to go on strike. That's what has to happen. So you will get an invite, John. No doubt about it. But you'll be an one invite of the last to the ones. to the to the house in the middle of nowhere to go on strike. Yeah. To go on strike? Yeah. You read the book, didn't you? No, I never read Atlas Shrugged. I You're read kidding the me. You've been you've been ridiculing me over <laughs> over this, and you've never even read the book. I read the Cliffs Notes. No, Does that count? No. At least listen to the audiobook. It's only fifty-six hours. Go read this book, John. This is. I am oh, not. I, I don't have time. I does not. I'm gonna be. I'll be. I'll drop dead halfway through, and I and I'll be so disappointed. It's a great book. I see. I don't even want to read the Fountainhead for two reasons. One, I like this one so much. Two, you keep telling me that I remind you of the main figure in the book. So now the main character. So I'm. I'm already worried about it. Yes, you, you're somewhat reminiscent of, of her type of character. The big, tall, blonde Superman. Oh, well, now I do have to read it. I can't believe you've never read Atlas Shrugged. This is a oh, great please. book. You read one a... of her books, you've read them all. That's the problem. Well, apparently <laughs> not, because we disagree. But how would you disagree? You've never read The Fountainhead. No, but if you read Atlas Shrugged, you, and I've t- said this many times on the show, it is written in 1957, happening right now. It is exactly what is going on with, this, with the previous four administrations. Uh, it's, it's probably been a buildup for 100 years, if you think about it. It's all about really the, what the military-industrial complex is, the pharmaceutical-industrial complex, and an actual solution to rebooting the world. I like it. You know, it's it's not doable or not there's, not there's easy. the buzzword of the day, ladies and gentlemen, reboot. I'm surprised Kundra didn't use reboot in his in one of his uh <laughs> Oh, stay tuned. Listen, <laughs> I'm telling you, we need instead of all this binary and cobalt skip logic stuff, we've got to reboot the world. Well, so I got a lot of I'm saying, I would hope people. Uh, by the way, we had a really paltry bunch of contributions this week. I mean, it was uh, it was for it all was the work 50%. you did for all the and we you actually did do some work on this. I mean, fifty percent less work, than usual. Really? Yeah, yeah, fifty percent less. And th- this is in 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 the face of the fact that everybody loved our Sunday show. Yeah, I did. I got a lot of good comments as well. You know, people, if you haven't heard the Sunday show, you should go back and listen to it. And I have to tell you that I, I myself spent this past weekend, uh, Sunday night, donating to a lot of sites where I, got, where I get information from. $50 here, $100 there. I think I probably shelled out um, five or $600 just on donating to sites. Yeah, that well, that's less money research. than we got. Now the, uh, oh, we got more the, than that? No, we got, no, I'm sorry, we, that's we got more less. money than we got. We got, like, nothing. We okay. got, like, one or two contributions for 50 bucks and one for 120 and that's it the uh the thing you should note is that people others should note is when and i actually it's not a bad practice even though it takes a little getting used to uh adam when he's on the streets and there's somebody you know like a a homeless person some vagrant or a person that's just down on their luck asks him for money hey buddy you got a quarter i gotta take the bus he always gives them money always gives that he gives literally gives everybody that asks on the yeah. street. Yeah, I do. Five bucks. It's and, always five and, bucks. and a smoke. 
well, well, they, I, always, they always say, "Hey, man, can I have a smoke?" Say, "Yeah, you can have a smoke." If you, here, have mine because it's all rolled up, ready to go. It's just tobacco, right? And they, they always think, "Oh, it's a joint." Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I always give them money, absolutely. Although I shouldn't, according to my guru. Well, in England, a, you a get somebody Rand. money, and they put, people pull off, you know, pull their cars over and start berating you. Yeah, it happened to me once. I guess, "Guy, what are you doing, giving that guy money?" Yeah. Well, then these are the people, of course, who are no longer counted in our unemployment figures. That you know, once once you're off unemployment after was it after six months, then you become a, a bum statistic. Yes, you're not counted for anything. Yeah, you're you're done. You're you're a done. You're no bum. longer a person. I got a lot of emails. But anyway, let me finish the let me finish the pitch and tell people okay. to go to noagenda.squarespace.com. So, so give, give me the two the two names who did donate. Let's let's shine well, a light. I'd have to go dig them up now because we'll do I don't it Sunday. have. We'll do plan, it Sunday. But, we'll do it Sunday. Yeah, Sunday we'll give them their kudos, and then. Uh, but the point is, noagenda.squarespace.com. There's a button there you can click on, and then go to dvorak.org/na. We like to do three shows a week. We can't, and we, you know, really starving to death. We're not quitting the show ever. But the thing that you really want us to avoid, like the plague, is getting sponsors to sponsor the show because that is a corrupting influence on a political show like this. It's not a corrupting influence on a show that talks about gizmos and gadgets and what happened in tech this week and the fact that Intel has a new chip. It's not that corrupting there, believe me. Binary oh, you're talking about Intel so much because they, they advertise. No, no, that's not it. On a show like this where we're digging into all kinds of weird stuff, we cannot afford to have anybody sponsor the show. You have to pay for this. Now, I know there's a lot of people who listen to this show and they listen to it every week and we provide something like if you do the, the numbers, if you do the numbers that we do three hours a week of programming, three hours, people spend 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, maybe more to go to a two-hour movie and the, but the three hours that we provide, they are just saying, well, it's free. Those two dummies can talk all they want. We don't, we, I've got no responsibility for it. Yeah, you do have responsibility for it. So go to noagenda.squarespace.com or noagenda.mevio.com. I don't think we have a bug there, do we? Or dvorak.org slash NA. And think about the fact that we're producing a movie a week in, in, Entertainment value for you <laughs> plus information, and think about where's the twenty bucks? We, <laughs> where's the twenty bucks? I mean, we're not getting a dollar. We're getting, on average, considering the number of people that listen to this show, about one cent per a listener. listener. Per, not it? No, not even. Not even. I don't even think it's one cent. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And you believe me, the show is not going to be any good yet. It'll still be the two of us joking around. But if we ever have to bring sponsors in to pay for it, you're not going to like it. I mean, you're still listening and you're going to be stuck, but you can only blame yourself. But seriously, we, just, we need to step it up a little bit. Now, let me give you some information that will actually be worth your donation. I received many, many emails. For some reason, this MIT study of the validity of tinfoil hats is circulating. Sure. Did you get any of these, John? Cause I blogged this like three years ago. I know. MIT it's literally study. from 2005 or 2006. And yeah. someone found it again. It's like, oh, here's empirical, empir empirical evidence, you know, whatever. Let me give you some tinfoil information that is actually good. If you wear tinfoil across your chest... Uh, pr preferably with a piece of cardboard under it, you know, and, and you'll you'll know why in a second. So a piece of cardboard under your chest, maybe maybe do your back as well, 
And uh, now this is only if you're if you're going to uh, well a town hall meeting, for example, you might want to use it for that. Put the tin foil, preferably three layers of tin foil, over that and gaffer tape it, but not too much. If you get tased, it will actually short out the taser. You have a website that documents this. Yes, I do. I do not have a video that documents it. So if anyone feels like uh, documenting that the taser shorts out on the tin foil, so the idea is first to, do it on a dummy, right? So the two, well, or your brother, little brother, Mikey. Um, so the idea is the taser darts go into the cardboard and they simultaneously are shorted out by the tin foil. Apparently, it arcs out immediately and nothing happens. Of course, you still have to spasm around to look like you're actually getting tased. And you have to say, like, don't tase me, bro. So that's some, that is some free information for you. <laughs> some guy walking around in a tinfoil suit. Yeah, yeah, you're getting the taser. Yeah, you got nothing on me. Boom, boom, boom. That guy takes a lot of shots to bring down. <laughs> free information. Yeah, we could we could do another uh, another maybe five minutes, John. If uh, if you, I mean, I, there's there's lots of stuff. What's going on? Um, uh, actually, I did want to mention the Gitmo Nation Roundtable podcast, which is I didn't I know about this. It's actually in episode number five now. A couple of our listeners, producers, get together on Skype after the show, and then they talk about a couple of the topics uh, from that. Spun actually. A, a Wayback Machine copy of George Sodini's website. Yeah. Sodini, of course, being uh, the complete crazy programmer who went into the gym and killed women. Uh, so we've all seen the, the website the mainstream media attended us to or brought our attention to. But when you see his, um, his actual, I'm looking for it right now. When you see his uh, his actual resume from what was it two thousand six, I believe. Wow, it's really laid out nicely. The formatting's perfect. Perfect. I mean, not an not an idiot at all. And oh, I really? That's interesting. I thought you were on that thread, man. I thought you saw that. No, I didn't. I didn't see the old stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, one of our uh, producers found that. So anyway, so links to that as well as um, the Gitmo Nation Roundtable, which I think is Gitmo Nation or GE. I don't know what it is. I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's on Mevio. It's actually pretty good. A couple of guys on Skype, and they, they're all doing research. Here it is. Um, GitmoNationRoundtable.Mevio.com. It's not bad. Well, I have one piece of interesting news. This kind of goes back into the, uh, I guess it's off topic for today, but it should be mentioned. Uh, I think you should play the real news theme. And now, back to real news. Zombie ants controlled by fungus. <laughs> Parasite manipulates infected ants into dying where fungus prefers to be. In a bizarre parasitic 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 death sentence, a fungus turns carpenter ants into the walking dead and gets them to die in a sport that's perfect for the fungus to grow and reproduce in a spot actually. <laughs> Science have scientists have no clue how the fungus takes control of the brains of the ants so effectively. I've seen this, yeah. 
But a new study in September issue of American Naturalist reveals an incredible set of strategies that ensue. Goes on and on. Yeah, there's video of this as well. There's a, like there? time time delayed video. Yeah, it's kind of eerie. And then sounds creepy. I wonder if it's got anything to do with that. I wonder if those the same fungus are trying to get control of the bats that they're killing. Finally, uh, from my side, uh, looser, uh, listener producer uh, Sefer Aman uh, went to uh, smallsteps.gov, which we talked about uh, two or three episodes ago, which are these handy tips from your government and from the Health and Human Services about how you can actually live a healthier lifestyle. We missed a very important one, John. We missed number 40. Remember, this yes. is the, uh, these are the tips like get the newspaper yourself or... Don't eat portion. Oh. Don't eat a portion of food bigger than your hand. Turn down your speakers. <laughs> Number forty. Pace the sidelines at kids' athletic games. No, we. I did that one. <laughs> I didn't hear that one. That's like. That's like. It, act like a child predator. Pace the <laughs> sidelines at kids' athletic games. That will make you live healthier lives. That's that's weird. I thought that one was pretty creepy, to say the it least. It is because it's exactly what you'd look like. That you'd be arrested following this <laughs> advice. <laughs> but you can always print out the web page and say, "Hey, man, I'm just following orders." All right. So on my blog, since we're doing a blog showdown, Massachusetts deputizes dentists to perform oh, yeah. swine oh, yes. flu vaccinations. I heard about it. not just dentists, but ph- uh, pharmacists and paramedics, pharmacists. Yeah. Yeah, actually, pharmacists in California, many of them do vaccination. Or right. they do the, 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 the let me at least do one more, and this will be my final one because I would like to say now, as an airman and a member of the aviation community, uh, I would strongly advise you no longer fly with Scandinavian Airlines, known as SAS, and here's why: Aviation Group Scandi- Scandinavian Airlines System said on Monday. It has designed a new landing method for aircraft which can slash fuel consumption and emissions of carbon dioxide. The new technique involves planes gliding into land following an optimum route mapped out by satellite. It could save around 100 kilograms of fuel in twin-engine jets. Listen to me. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're turning (laughs) off the engines. (laughs) We're gliding. Listen, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. This is like my grandfather used to have this. He would coast. He had this Volkswagen Rabbit. And we go down a hill and he'd push in the clutch. He's like, let's coast. It saves fuel. I'm like, Grandpa, this is fucking dangerous, man. You've got to be like. It's actually against the law in California to do that. You can't coast. Don't do that. So now they're going to coast your jet into. This is the dumbest thing I have ever heard of. Dumb. And potentially well, it saves dangerous. Carbon dioxide. It, saves, it saves carbon dioxide. It can't be that dumb. I feel it's potentially dangerous. I, I really do. This is, this is dumb. And by the way, it doesn't make sense because this is just, this is just not how approaches you want to be work. In control, and the planes are not designed for that. That's, an, that's called an emergency landing when you run out of fuel. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to make an emergency landing into our airport. I hope you enjoyed the flight. You have to lay the, fog, f- the foam down for him. Well, planes are des- designed to, uh, to do that, by the way. But, uh, you're um, you're um, going to Europe on Saturday. Yes. So I will be doing the show from uh, Amsterdam on Sunday, and then the Thursday show will be from another undisclosed location. 
Uh, actually, going to be uh, away for two weeks. But the show will continue, even during my so-called vacation. You're going to be away for two weeks? I think you're going to be away for one week. Well, really, vacation for one week, and then I'm working the other week, but I'm in mm. London and Amsterdam. And my daughter's birthday, she's doing... So you'll be uh, back on the air somewhere on sun- the following Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I wouldn't mess up the show. Uh-oh. Yeah, here it comes. No, I don't, I don't want to hear the dog again. It's not the dog. The dog's not in the room. Coming to you from the uh, Crackpot Command Center embedded in my minimum security containment cell in the heart of Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, California, I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where it's turning out to be a a splendid day, I'm just finishing off my glass of sour, sour lemon juice. I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again on uh, Sunday right here on No Agenda. No Agenda.